Good morning, church. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 3. We will continue our series alongside of Pastor Scott's study in Galatians. As the other elders are going through this Old Testament book, we're grateful for the ability to have two Sundays in a row where we kind of keep our thoughts together from what Pastor Charlie preached last week from chapter two regarding the young boy Samuel, who God would call to be a prophet, the prophet who would one day call the King David, uh, one who would be the father of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the flesh, uh, but a king that will reign forever and ever according to his word. First Samuel chapter three is always a privilege to uh, and I, I want to make clear that I don't take for granted the privilege that it is given to me to share with you the Word of God. Because the Word of God is, is to say it's valuable would be uh, an infinite understatement. It's a great commodity. When, when, we, when we see things happen in our world, such as the economy crashing or the stock market kind of going down, it's not long after that, that there'll be folks out there trying to make sure you buy gold because gold is a standard which will be solid. It's something that you can count on. It's a commodity that it's not, it's gonna weather the storm. And, and then when the economy comes back, then you see the gold prices go back down and uh, then it goes back up. Uh, but for some reason, we you know have an understanding that this metal that comes from the ground that really has no practical purpose, is a great commodity. Now, again, we find it valuable. I, I, uh, I'm not going to uh, try to convince you that your gold is worthless. And if you have gold jewelry, just put it in a bag and I'll take that off of your hands so you don't need to worry about trusting in something that has no uh, you know, good to you. Because again, there's some value to, to you, right? Uh, it, it costs a great price for, for whatever reason. Uh, some of you have even joked with uh, the way grocery prices have gone lately with Amy and myself. We have a great commodity because we have chickens that lay eggs. Uh, and so we have the luxury uh, of not having to go to the grocery store and pay many dollars worth just to get a, a carton of eggs. It's, but to some degree, there's an element of truth to that because you think, well, you got something that's very valuable based on the circumstances. Six months ago, you wouldn't have said that. Ten years ago, you wouldn't have said that. But because of the circumstances, because of the way you perceive the world to be right now, you look at things a little bit differently. There's figurative ways we can look at commodities. You can, you know, sometimes you just get in a crowd of people and you, and you think that it's a great commodity to have just common sense. It doesn't appear like a lot of people have common sense these days, you may hear people say. Uh, you may think it's a, a great commodity to have character because we live in such a, a, a day in which people are continuing disappointing with their lifestyles and with their choices. But when we talk about the word of God being a commodity, we're, it's in a class all by itself. The, the word of God is so valuable that it shouldn't require a lot of prodding for us to want to read it, 
for us to understand that within the pages of what I hold before me or in any digital form or in the ways you have it memorized in your heart and in your mind, that we have the revelation from the one who is sovereign over everything. His words are given to us so that when we come to a portion of our service at multiple times, our worship guide is full of scripture reading. I hope that that doesn't become boring to you. I hope that that never becomes something that you just treat flippantly. That, oh, okay, so we're going to read a verse out of the Old Testament. Oh, okay, so now we're going to read something out of the New Testament. Oh, okay, now we're going to study, you know, go to the CGG. We're going to go study a book of the, you know, part of the Genesis. No, that... When you consider the vast majority of people that live in this world that do not have access in their language, these words of truth, we've missed something. So that when we come, whether it be to the point of preaching through a text or whether it comes through responsive readings through the text, or just simply listening to someone declare what the word of the Lord says, we need to understand that this is truly a valuable commodity. Now, when God was leading his people out of exile, or not out of exile, but out of slavery in Egypt, and he was giving through his leader Moses the law, and words of instruction, part of that instruction we find in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, 16, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses speaking, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. He was pointing them back to a point where when Moses went up on, the, on Mount Sinai to receive the law, you may recall that the people were afraid because they heard thundering. They saw lightning. They saw fire coming from heaven. They saw something that was very awesome. And at that point, they were afraid to hear from God. But Moses said, the Lord's going to call up a prophet from among you, among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So when we think about what a prophet is, or what a prophet does, they're speaking on behalf of God, and God intends for us, for those who are speaking on his behalf, to listen to them. When they declared the word of God, God's people were to listen. Because it is through his word that he gives them their instruction on how to live. It is through his word that he builds them up in their faith. It is through their, his word that he encourages his people. It is through his word he rebukes his people. And it is even through his word that God will judge people. 
So when we think about prophecy, we're not just talking about Jack Van Impey telling us about what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. When we talk about prophecy, we're talking about the declare word of God to people. From God to the people. Paul helps us out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding or their edification and encouragement or the exhortation of the word and consolation or comfort. So there is a purpose to the word of God as the prophet is the one who is declaring the word of God. They say, well, why make such a big deal about that today? Well, we're talking about Samuel, who is going to be that first prophet that we know of to God's people that will declare the word of God. And today in chapter three, we'll see God's calling of this young boy into that ministry of declaring the word of God. So if you will follow along as I begin reading in verse one, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So we see here in this context the ministry that we have been introduced to already in chapter 2. Again, Samuel and his birth of being of quite significance that we find out in chapter 1 is now being brought into fruition as he is a young boy ministering with Eli the prophet. Uh, we're, we're not talking about Eli's sons who we uh, referred to their disobedience and their disgraceful living last week in chapter two, but this is Samuel who Hannah, his mother had dedicated to the Lord completely. And so they're serving there in the, the temple or in the tabernacle rather, the temple had not yet been built, but in the tabernacle where within this tent, there would be the Ark of the Covenant that would be where God would display his presence and his glory. And Eli, the, the priest, and his servant, Samuel, were here at night. Now, the writer of this book gives us a description of, of the layout of the land, so to speak. that says in verse 1, the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Now, that might sound similar to what we were referring to back when we looked at Judges chapter 21 back a couple of months ago, in which there was no king and the people did what was right in their own eyes. There was no leadership so the people were to live as licentiously as they wanted to. They did what was right in their own eyes. Here we have a description that is just as paralyzing in which the word of the Lord was rare. Now, we have to be honest here that the word here that's translated rare doesn't simply mean that, well, God just didn't say a whole lot. But it has an, an inward meaning that talks more about it was, it was valuable because there was very little disclosure of the word of the Lord. It wasn't that it was just rare and it was that scant, but that 
It was so precious in its rarity in those days because there was no frequent vision. There was no frequent disclosure from God to someone. Now, again, it wasn't completely absent. I mean, last week in chapter two, we talked about there was a man of God who came and spoke a word of judgment to Eli because of how desperately wicked his sons had become and how Eli had been uh, wrong in not correcting it and that judgment was going to come. So it wasn't as if it was completely absent. It was just it was very rare in those days to the point where it was precious. There was no vision. Now, in, chapter, in verse 2, I love the parallel that's given here. Now, I have to say that I'm not inspired by the Holy Spirit to say this, but for when I read verse 2, after verse 1, just listen. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had began to grow dim. Are you serious? That's the next thing that the writer of the first Samuel is going to tell me about Sam or Eli after he says that there has been no vision much around the land and that the word of God was rare. And the next thing he says is that Eli's vision was bad. And not only that, he was lying down in his own place. But verse 3 should get us excited because even though Eli's vision, his eyesight was bad, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. The illumination of God's word as it was represented in that candlestick there in the tabernacle to make sure that there was light for the priests to continue doing their duties even after the sun went down, that lamp was still burning. Mark's translation here, even though there was not a lot of the preaching of God's word going forth, the word of God was still there. And something interesting was about to happen. I mean, it reminds me of when Jesus would do a miracle after he was speaking about faith, and then all of a sudden you see Jesus doing a miracle where he's taking a blind person and making him see again. Or where people couldn't understand what he was saying because of the parables that he was using. But then all of a sudden, the next thing you wind up seeing Jesus do, well, he's taking somebody who is deaf and now they can hear. Or because they weren't able to, to obey the word, Jesus teaches, and then he heals someone of being lame and they can now walk. Here we have made very clear that the word of God was rare in those days. Eli's eyesight were bad, but make no mistake, the lamp had not yet gone out. And can I just put in a little, just a little post-it note right here for you to remember this? The lamp is still burning brightly as ever. The word of God is still just as illuminating as it ever has been and always will be because the word of God is eternal. It's God's word. But here we have a situation where the word of God was scarce. Now, so we not only see that the word of the Lord was scarce, but we see that Samuel receives the word of the Lord here later on. In verse 4, then the Lord called Samuel and he said, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he, Eli, said, 
I did not call, lie down again. So he went down and lay down, and the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So you can understand at this point, because Samuel was lacking an understanding of who the Lord was, he would, wouldn't understand this to be the Lord calling. Eli, on the other hand, well, he knows the Lord. He's a, he's a priest. He should understand what's going on by this point. In verse 7, now, uh, I'm sorry, and now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. In verse 8, and the Lord called again Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli finally perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Multiple times, God is calling but once there's an understanding that who it may be calling, then Samuel understood to respond properly to the, to the, to the right one. And it was at that point that Samuel properly responds by saying, speak for your servant hears. Now, Samuel was willing to, to serve Eli, and he got up three times at night and went thinking that it was Eli calling, but it wasn't. But he, set, he placed that same faithfulness to the Lord that he had already demonstrated because he recognized, as Eli had warned him, that this is the Lord probably talking to you, so you should respond properly. So he was ready to finally hear what the Lord was saying. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ear, that, which the two ears of everyone who hears it tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Very first message from the Lord for this young boy to receive and to declare a message that's going to tingle every person's ears that hears it is a word of judgment. Well, wait a minute. I thought the Lord was loving and kind, and I thought... You know, if, of all the things that he should do, I mean, the first time that Samuel ever proclaims what the Lord has said, it's going to be that your household is going to die? That there is no atonement that's going to be made for these sons because of their wickedness and their sin? I mean, couldn't he be a little softer? 
I mean, what's the culture going to think about Samuel? This is the first thing that comes out of his mouth as a prophet of God. I mean, I mean how hard, I mean, he's going to turn people off. People are going to reject him because he's going to be a negative naysayer. He's just going to be looking at all the problems if that's all he's talking about. Yet this is the first word of prophecy in a land that has not heard it very much. But it was exactly what God had intended to say when God intended to say it so that we would understand that God, whenever he speaks, is faithful to do exactly what he says. Like God doesn't do this with every situation. We don't want to make this normal just simply because the narrative portrays Samuel's first message as being very sobering. But having said that, let us not discount the necessity of the hard with the good. Oh, yes, it's a wonderful thing to talk about the gospel. We absolutely must do that. But we cannot do so without the absolute necessity of talking about sin. We're not going to have life until we remind people that they are dead. We're not going to have fullness of the Spirit until we remind people that they are empty of the Spirit. We cannot sow seeds of the Word of God until we have understood that we have been reaping the fruit of corruption when we have sown to the flesh. And Samuel, bless his heart, the first word that he gets when he says, Lord, I'm your servant. Go ahead and speak. Okay. Eli's sons are going to die. And we know the effect that this had on him because in verse 15, it says, Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Well, if Eli hadn't told him to answer to the Lord, I'm ready. He wouldn't get this piece of bad news, right? And now he's got it. I hate to tell the man that his sons are going to die, even though the man of God has already done so, right? This is not a new message. But it's a message nonetheless. But when Samuel received the word of God, he was not only ready to hear it, and he was not only in a point of sobriety where he received it, but he also gained the courage to speak it. Verse 16, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, and just like the night before, here I am. That, that was just a response. And he said, Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also, if you hide anything from me, all that he told you. Now, <laughs> I can tell you right now, I'm speaking on, preacher, on behalf of preachers all around the world. If every person who sat under the preaching of God's word, when we were the ones ministering the word of God, would have that receptivity to say, hey, I want you to tell me everything that the word of God has for me. And if you don't, may God curse you as badly as he ever decided to curse me. If you don't tell me the whole counsel of the word of God. 
But that's what Eli was doing. Now, I say that in jest because we live in a world that, you know what, they don't want to hear everything that the Word of God has to say. They've heard just about enough of God's Word, and so they just will take pieces of it that they, that they can fit into their own flesh, make, it feel, make them feel good, but not take the whole counsel, not listen to the entirety of it. But Eli asked for it. And so in verse 18, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. May we say when, when we've heard the word preached, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Eli didn't ask for three practical points of how his life could get better that week. Eli didn't ask, is there a book that I can help me parent my sons, even though they've gone beyond the point of correction? Is there anything I can do to help them out, win them back? There wasn't a nice, soft little story at the end of this. It was just, this is what the Lord said. It is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. And anytime the word of God is preached, that is my prayer. Because it is the Lord who says, I will accomplish exactly what I intend through my word. Whether you see results, whether you see people getting saved, whether you see people getting even more mad than they were at God before, no matter what you see, his word will not return void. That is the word of the Lord. And what God intends to do with the word, God will do with the word. And it is for our good if we line ourselves up with that as opposed to trying to make the word of God fit to us. But Samuel had the courage to speak what the Lord had said. Eli received the word, understanding that it exactly what it was. And so the next thing that we find in verse 19, even though doubtless there were many days that had gone by, much time of development since this time, but the writer from 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19 says, and Samuel grew. This is not a word that speaks about his physical stature, that he had a growth spurt where he went from being 4'11 to 5'8". To this is a word that speaks about Growing in significance, growing in glory, if you will. The magnificence of Samuel was growing, not because of what he was doing, not because of what he was, but because of what God was doing through him. He was still a servant of the Lord. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. They, they didn't fall short. Everything that Samuel said was different than these other guys who were calling themselves prophets. Everything that Samuel said came true when it came to speaking the word of the Lord. As imperfect and as much of a sinner as he still was, just as we are, when Samuel spoke declaring the word of God, 
speaking on behalf of the Lord. His words did not fall to the ground, and all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord, and the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself at Samuel to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. His words were effective. They didn't fall to the ground. He was established. Those around him, when they heard what he said and when they saw it come true, it was established that he was a prophet. And then the Lord continued to speak to Samuel. And as we see throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we really can't say for much of the time any longer that there was no vision or that the word of the Lord was rare. Because we see a transition in the history of Israel at this point to where the prophet Samuel become very instrumental. And from this point onward, even through the times of the exile, there would be men of God who would be raised up to speak on behalf of the Lord. And their words were just as effective. Their presence and their identity as a prophet were just as established, and they continued to speak. Just as Moses had prophesied way back in the words of Deuteronomy that there would be people coming from among this nation of Israel that would speak the word of God. But you may have noticed that since that time, we do things a little bit differently. <laughs> uh, that once there was a time, there was a period before Jesus Christ was born of, of, of almost 450 years in which there wasn't a prophet. There were the scriptures recorded. The word of God had spoken. His law was known. But there were centuries without one new word from God, simply prophetic utterances that either were fulfilled in their day or things that yet had to be happen. But then Jesus was born. Jesus lived his life. Jesus did his work as our redeemer. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter one, verses one and two say, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, and you need to understand that the writer of Hebrews, just as we do today, consider ourselves living in the latter days. Latter days have been around for a long time. For about 2,000 years, we've been in the last days. So don't lose heart, take comfort, but we're in the last days. And the writer of Hebrews says, but in these last days, he has, God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So we see a transition from those Old Testament prophets from long ago 
The ones whom we take their writings, and as the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans, those things which were written beforehand were written for our good. They were written for our encouragement. They were written for our faith, so that through believing what had been written by the prophets, we would take comfort and have hope through no matter what we face in this life. And there was a time when God spoke. And in essence, as his word is living, he continues to speak through those prophets. But in these latter days, God speaks through his son, Jesus Christ, who is the word. There is no clearer revelation of God than of Jesus Christ. But then you may say, well, wait a minute. Well, if that's the case... Jesus didn't write all those other books. We, we give those other people's you know, names on them, that sort of thing. But we remember what Jesus said, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you all things. And it would be through those apostles to which he would speak so that we could say all scriptures breathe out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof for correction and training in righteousness. But Peter gives us a little bit better insight as to, to where we're at today. Now, Peter, you may recall, was one of the three disciples, James and John being the other two, that Jesus called up with himself on top of a mountain. A mountain where we're told that he was transfigured, which just simply means he changed. <laughs> what changed? Well, he took what they had seen for nearly three years of just a man to now displaying the glory of God and Moses and Elijah being in their presence. Now you would think it doesn't get any better than that. And I'm thinking you would be mostly right, except for what Peter says in describing that account. He says in 2 Peter chapter 1, after reminding his reader of his presence there on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing the very person of Jesus Christ transfigured into the glory of God, says this, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Now, wait a minute. You with your own eyes saw Jesus in the glory and you're saying we've got something that's even more confirmed than that? Absolutely. He says, we have a more, I'm sorry, that, I'm sorry, I, I've lost my place here. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Remember that lamp back in the tabernacle? Eli and Samuel were asleep. Eli's vision had gone bad. But what does the Lord say in his word? The lamp hadn't gone out. 
And we should take the word of God as we have it inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we should pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from one's or someone's own interpretation for no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So that's the reason why I said, well, mostly seeing Jesus on the Mount of Figuration was it, but until we see Jesus, it doesn't get any more clearer. It doesn't get any more true. It doesn't become any less important than the day when we see Jesus Christ for us to cling dearly to the word of God. For it is breathed out by God. It is his word as we have received it. For the Holy Scripture is our supreme revelation. We have a supreme prophet in Jesus Christ through whom all these words come. But we have a supreme revelation that reveals who he is. It reveals who we are in relation to him. And why is this important today? Because we live in a world doesn't necessarily believe that. And let me say we live in a world where we have to be, I want to be real careful here. I, I, I want to be really, really careful, but listen to what I have to say, please. It, it, it's been mentioned today regarding the, the happenings in Asbury, Kentucky. It's been going on for nearly two weeks now. Nearly every major news facilitator that I'm aware of, regardless of their bent, has reported on it. And everything that I've read is consistent. Uh, that doesn't mean I know everything. I, I, can, I have not made a trip to Kentucky. I don't know. Haven't been there. Don't know anybody that's been there. But what I've heard is there's a revival going on. What I've heard is it started from a song service. What I've heard, people have been praying. What I've heard is people have been giving testimony. What I haven't heard It's the word. I've searched. I want to believe that what I've been praying for, for not just this nation, but for the church around the world, I've been searching, hoping that what I've been praying for is true. So I've been searching this latest situation 
I haven't found the necessary ingredient for life. Now, that doesn't mean that songs can't be based on the word. That doesn't mean that prayers can't be based in the word. Doesn't mean that testimonies can't be based on what's happening in accordance to the word. But folks, listen to, this may be the last thing you ever hear me say. But listen, let your ears tingle. If the word of God is not being preached, if the gospel, and as far as I know, Asbury College may not have an understanding exactly what the gospel is. I don't know. But if the gospel is not being preached, there is no transformation that is eternal at all because the word of God is essential. So I pray that the reason why these kids can't go back to class is because they are so busy listening to the preaching of God's word, not to singing a song 20 times in a row, not to somebody giving a testimony about how they feel about something, but that they understand that they are sinners and that they are repenting of that sin and that the spirit of God is quickening them, making them alive in Christ so that the world has no doubt that Christ is alive and well in their hearts and in their lives. That doesn't mean there can't be emotional response. There should be emotional responses when that happens. There should be singing when that happens. But that can't happen with any value without the preaching of the word of God. And while that's one example, there are so many other things that we can talk about in life when you have conversations with people about issues and about things that are going on that they're so ready to tell you what they think or how they feel about it. I could care less about what you think or feel. I want to know what God's word says. I want to know, is it consistent with this? I want to know if what you think comes from here, not in what you've lived or what you've seen or what you've heard from someone else or what you admire about someone else. And forgive me if there's any part of the flesh that is an emotional outburst here. Please understand it is because of my passion that even when I'm in sin, I need this. I don't need a song. I don't need hope that my life can rebound or turn over a new leaf. I need to know that a holy, righteous God found me in contempt, considered me his enemy because of my arrogance and my selfishness and my pride. But he loved me to where what Jesus Christ did on a cross with no reason other than love for me, suffered for my sins of last week, for last year, for next year, for this very moment, 
suffered the wrath of God so that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's what I need to know. That's what I want to sing about. That's what I want to pray for. That's what I want to tell others about how Christ has done that in my life. So that when I sing a song, it sounds something like this. And I'm borrowing this from the Gettys. If you were noticing, Amy played this as one of her pieces during the prelude. And in the spirit of Samuel being awakened at night, they would say, speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love, in our deeds of faith. Speak, O oh Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise. Cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail. Just like Samuel's words, they never hit the ground. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O oh Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, will stand on your promises. By faith, we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O oh Lord, to your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Samuel was called to be a prophet of the Lord, to speak the word of the Lord. Samuel grew as he received the word of the Lord from the Lord. He communicated that word because it's life for us. May we always anchor our souls and our hope in the word. That is an idol. This book, scriptures, they reveal to me who Christ is. about God. It's life to the hearer. May we cling to it today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your spirit. Not a spirit that works haphazardly, without purpose, without meaning. But Lord, a spirit, your spirit, 
the Holy Spirit. It is he who has given us your word. It is he who teaches us your word. It is he who convicts us of your word. It is he who has preserved your word. And it is he who implants the word in our hearts. So, Father, I come to you, Lord, asking that the Holy Spirit that resides in each of us as believers would convict us where we have been wayward, that your spirit would use the word that he has preserved to instruct us in righteousness and correct us, to build us up in our faith, give us hope and comfort in the scriptures. And I pray, Lord, for those who may be listening to my voice who they don't have the Holy Spirit residing in them because they are not a believer. They're in their sin. They're still at odds with you. They still are satisfied more with their sin than they are of repenting of it and clinging to Christ and his work on the cross as a payment for that sin. Father, I pray that that same spirit that he would have that he would have their hearts, that he would convict them, that he would quicken them, make them alive, that he would change them, that he would regenerate them, and that your word would find good ground, that you would produce fruit. Father, I pray that you would Encourage us all. We seek your will, and we ask that you would accomplish it even as we continue our worship for you today. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.